Hello, and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 126. I'm so thrilled to bring you this show uh, with someone I have a huge amount of respect for, Dr. Jolene Brighton. Uh, I will tell you a little bit about this incredible person. So she's a leading expert, for those of you who don't know, in post-birth control syndrome and hormonal birth control related problems. Now, I have a very personal story that many of you guys have heard before where I was on the pill for a few years in my early 20s. I came off the pill. I didn't have a period for two years. I kind of didn't notice but kind of knew I should be worried about it uh, until uh, I then started getting some tests to figure out what was wrong. That was when we found that I had polycystic ovaries. It was also when I was flippantly told that I may have to prepare for the fact that this could be early onset menopause, age 28. Uh, it was the second time I went to the naturopath who sorted out my tonsillitis that many of you guys will know from my story in the book. And I said, look, I've just been told this. She was so upset that I'd been told that because, you know, some revolting tasting herbs and six weeks later, I think it was about six weeks, maybe two months, I'm a bit hazy because it was 15 years ago now, but she got me swinging. I got my period back and, uh, and I, and I am one of so many stories and it's not just about amenorrhea, which is absence of period altogether. It's about so many different things that the hormonal birth control pill can do to us. You heard some of the deficiencies, the nutritional deficiencies that can occur when I interviewed uh, the wonderful Francesca Naish. I'll link back to that show, um, who's a, an Australian uh, expert in natural contraception. Uh, but uh, today we really dive into so many other uh, concerns and and really how we can take care of our own birth control and our health and our hormone health uh, rather than being told it's all in our head when we might go to a doctor and say, look, I think this has all happened since I started the pill and kind of being told, no, nah, that's, you know, that's not really related. Uh, so, uh, when I first came across Jolene, I, I saw her talking about this post-birth control syndrome. I was really interested, started following her, um, knowing that it was something that I felt I had had myself, I'd experienced myself. It was certainly when uh, my gluten intolerance seemed to turn up, it, you know, over the years that I was on the uh, pill. And uh, when a, a few other little kind of random niggles happened, and it's so different for every woman, so it's really important that we realise uh, that there is things, there are things you can do. And Jolene is certainly a champion for re-empowering us. Uh, she, she's actually got incredible qualifications. So in the US, you have naturopathic doctors, so they don't just do a Bachelor of Health Science; they actually do a full medicine degree. And uh, their sort of elective, if you like, is naturopathic approach. And she got that from the National University of Natural Medicine. She graduated with a degree in nutritional biochemistry, clinical nutrition. And in that degree, she was really involved in uh, nutritional research, exploring interventions for mainly healthy hormones and body composition as we age. So uh, she's always been interested in the female body and hormones. Uh, she founded three clinics before she was age 35. She's currently the medical director of at Rubus Health uh, in Portland, Oregon. 
She's just spent a few months in Paris uh, and uh, I, I'm just so stoked to have her on the show. So before we kick into that and start talking about her incredible new book, Beyond the Pill, which you absolutely need to get, uh, I, I just I, I just think this is going to be a game changer for so many people out there. If you have a mother, sister, cousin, niece, aunt, uh, anyone who has experienced a whole bunch of symptoms, otherwise seemingly healthy and no massive red flags around their lifestyle, you know, if they've been on the pill at some point in their life, this could really be a a game changer for them and for really helping us look beyond the pill at uh, the many ways we can sort out hormonal issues where the birth control pill is actually prescribed for symptomatic relief. You know, this is a huge, huge concern. So uh, that's coming in a little tick. I just want to tell you two things. Number one is that next week, Monday, Go Low Tox starts. It's my e-course that I founded five years ago now. We have had 3,000 people jump on the bandwagon of ditching everyday toxins in their environments, in their home, on their body, in their cleaning products, in the dust, in their house, uh, in their furnishings and textiles, you name it, we cover it. And I've been asked a couple of times, so if I've got the book, how is the course different? And just to give you a little window into uh, a couple of major ways that the book and the course are different, I see the book as a really great broad brush awakening um, with lots of really useful, you know, I put a bunch of useful recipes, checklists, simple things you can swap out, ditch, etc. But it's only 60,000 words and it also in the book covers food and mind in that 60,000 words. So the course, end of course PDF is 135,000 words. It has over 3,000 product recommendations across Australia, New Zealand, the US and the UK. And, uh, and you have the benefit of 25 interviews with some of the best scientists and practitioners who deal in environmental, uh, toxin concerns, uh, either with patients or either with building biology, uh, or the environment. Um, and then you also have those as transcripts. You also have my live coaching in the group. Unfortunately, since the books come out, I am flagging so many private Instagram messages that I'm getting from people tagging me with products in their hands or a brand that they've decided they're going to start selling. And they're like, yay, this is amazing. Thanks for the inspiration in your book, Lotox Life. Check out the hand cream I just found. And then I go to the website because it might be a brand I'm not familiar with. And this happened literally this morning. Uh, and there's an in, uh, uh, two environmental toxins in there that are harmful to aquatic life and one that is uh, a hormone disruptor, an endocrine disruptor. And I have to then politely say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but, um, you know, obviously you can't list every single chemical or flag every single product in a 60,000 word book. And unfortunately that product's not low tox. Uh, I've had people want to pay me to speak at their conferences and I've had to politely decline, uh, a, a well-known brand that sells microfiber cloths and say, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm not perfect, but I've drastically cut my use of microfibers. I have two gym outfits that, um, have synthetic fibers and a couple of dresses that are viscose, but I've really, really cracked down on it. And while it's wonderful that your company doesn't use any chemicals at the same time, I can't stand up on a stage and get paid and tell you it's wonderful because every time those 
cloths go in the dryer or they go in the wash or you even use them around the house and they get old and tatty and little bits fly away from it, we are creating plastic pollution and I just can't do that. I'm getting this from all sides. So the course really helps you buckle down with me for five weeks, me personally. Uh, I'm very close to this course. I absolutely love running it and coaching people through this process. And we help you know for sure for the rest of your life how to make a great choice. So please, if that sounds like it resonates with you, uh, jump on board, join me. I would love to see you there. Go Low Tox. If you just Google Go Low Tox and Low Tox Life courses, you'll see it straight away. But I've also put the link in the show notes today. The second thing I wanted to remind you of is that you have our wonderful show supporter, Mokosh, and they create skincare literally from ingredients that you could eat, uh, and it just doesn't get more natural than that. Uh, so it's a beautiful Australian brand. It is for Aussies only. I'm sorry, but we are working on some international show supporters uh, that I can tell you about very, very soon, which is exciting. Um, but for the Aussies out there, if you want to head to the Mokosh website, mokosh, M-O-K-O-S-H.com.au, and you'll get 15% off the entire range. So LTL15 is your code, all in caps. And uh, go enjoy, check out the product. They've got beautiful spritzes, serums, face creams. And if you really want something that is as close to nature as possible, like things that you could basically almost make from um, pantry ingredients, but you're not much of a DIYer uh, and you, you want the benefit of someone who's super experienced at creating emulsions, then go ahead to Mokosh and check out what they've got to offer. Some beautiful, beautiful products there. So that's all I had to talk about, which leaves me literally to say it's time for the show. I hope you love my chat with Jolene. If you have questions, pop them in the show notes. It was one of those conversations that I was already building a plan, like a plan for, you know, the second time we meet, the third time we meet, the fourth, like it's practically going to be necessary to turn into a four-part series chatting to Jolene. She has so much in that amazing brain of hers. Enjoy the show and uh, here's to getting beyond the pill. Hey, Jolene, how are you? Hey there, I am doing well. Thanks so much for making the time to chat with me today. Oh, and I could say the same for you, Miss. I am in Paris and just about to head home to Portland after a few months. So I really appreciate having you on the show today. I know, it's so crazy. We were chatting. So this is always the fun part when you listen to podcasts is that you know all these conversations are happening that are not being recorded. And (laughs) we were chatting before this. So for everyone listening, I am in Paris right now. Today is my last day in Paris after living here for almost three months because my son got rapidly ill on what was supposed to be a six-day vacation, which then became a three-month stay. Um, And yeah, we got scheduled. And I think you know, we have a mutual friend, Dr. Carrie Jones, and I think this is like an absolute, I've done so many interviews here. This is absolutely a wonderful, you know, way to wrap up my stay in Paris is to have this conversation and then I'm going to go eat some more things and pack up. <laughs> you have to go eat all the things before you head I, home. Do it for me well, as a half Frenchie, please. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the last week, uh, it's so funny because I had, um, so I have hypothyroidism. By the time it was, uh, you know, diagnosed, I my thyroid wasn't up to par in terms of being able to produce hormones. So I use natural desiccated thyroid hormone, which is actually illegal here. Um, oh in wow! Paris. 
experience. Yeah, you're not, you can't have natural desiccated thyroid. You, like I can bring it into the country, but I can't get it from a pharmacist. And so I ended up having to um, use their. Uh, oh, it's falling out of my head. It's like uh, you. Oh, what it doesn't matter. Their um, their medication here. It's a synthetic T4 T3 combination, and I tried it. And I, you know, thyroid is something that I specialize in, and so you know, this is something where I'm like, I had that dose dialed in, and it just did not work. And um, oh wow, it was after like um, about a week of having to rely on that that I went and swept the house and noticed that there was more hair like on the floor than I'd ever seen before. So I lost a ton of hair. Oh. I gained a bunch of weight. So like in a week I couldn't button my pants. So this is whenever people are like, Oh, you know, you just need to eat less and exercise with like your hormones, <laughs> nothing to do with your weight. I'm like, man, I just experienced it. So I went through all yeah. that. I gained weight. That's not good for your ego. So I was like, okay, you know, got, I got my natural desiccated thyroid hormone. I ended up and my husband had flown home and then brought it back. And that was one of the primary reasons he flew home. I'm like, I can't function. Like, I can't. I'm, like, slipping here. Um, and he came back. I started that. Um, and, you know, some of the weight came off. But I was like, okay, you're going to have to exercise and, you know, watch what you're eating. And then the last two weeks, I was like, you know, you have two weeks to go in Paris. You're going to eat every piece of cheese that you can. <laughs> and you're just going to let all of that go. And it's winter. And you'll wear sweaters. And if you gain some weight, like, so what? You yeah. are in Paris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Paris can always make you feel fine about an extra couple of kilos because the cheese. Yeah. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, as we're going to be talking about hormones and birth control, and one mm. of the big triggers, uh, you know, for women and acne is dairy. And, you know, right. women with acne, it's about, you know, 14% of women uh, will get on hormonal birth control. So let me back up and say it this way. Let me reframe for everybody listening. So, you know, about 58% or more of women are using hormonal birth control primarily for symptom management, not primarily for preventing babies. Mm. And of that, about 14% are using it to manage their acne. And as I talk about my book, Beyond the Pill, is that dairy is a big trigger. And you can't just take it out for a couple of days or even for a couple of weeks. Like you have to take it out um, for at least 30 days, uh, some women a bit longer. And then you got to test and see how it does for you. And for me, I get acne if I eat dairy in the United States. And I know the threshold. I know how much cheese I can have. Mm -hmm. And I know I know my limit. And that's what I try to teach women in Beyond the Pill is that you know, it's often not uh, all or nothing when it comes to diet, when it comes to lifestyle. It's about understanding your threshold. Like if you're, you know, not sleeping, not pooping, then binging on dairy is probably going to be a problem for you. But mm. like if you've got other things dialed in, it might be okay to have that piece of cheese. But here in Paris, I have zero issues with my skin and dairy. And I can get, uh, you know, a flat white, I can get, um, and for people who don't know, it's like, if you come to Europe, get that drink. It's amazing. If you do coffee. And, <laughs> we yeah. have that in Australia too. So oh, the Aussies will so know what good. you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, I can eat all of that. And I think that speaks, uh, tremendously to the differences in the food system. And, and farming. you know, yeah. I'm not one of those people. I, I don't get down with how people get, they just get really weird where they're like, this is what the French do better and they're so much better. Or this is what the United States people in the U.S. do better and they're so much better. And I don't think it's that. I think that everybody is is doing things differently and there's a lot we can take away and learn. And being a Portlander, so I actually, my home is in Portland, Oregon, I have mad respect for how much love goes into food here and mm. how much time and attention and care. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it, it like I often wonder whether genetics, ancestral kind of lineage and all those sorts of things contribute to us feeling better about eating certain foods in certain places in the world. It really fascinates mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah. And it's also something too like you I I also think about like what are you getting exposed to with the foods in terms of the microbes yeah. and um and I think that I, it's something that like, you know, you and I, again, we were chatting, sorry guys, we had this whole long, like 20 minute conversation without <laughs> you. Did. Sorry. Um, but you know, this, how I want to start traveling more with my son and taking him to, you know, he right now the working diagnosis is pandas. It's an autoimmune disease that causes neuro neuropsychiatric, uh, disorder. And, but I'm still looking for more infections because I'm not convinced it's just strep. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the kind of doctor I am. I'm like, I'm going to explore, I'm going to turn over every rock until I know what lives where. Um, but with that, like, you know, part of like what, why we're wanting to travel is I want to take him to, you know, different parts of the world that have different modalities to help him heal. Like Germany, you know, being a naturopathic physician, hydrotherapy is part of our lineage that's born out of Germany. Mm. I'd love to take him there and have that experience. But the other thing too, is that, when you have that level of variety in your diet, like when you are somewhere living somewhere else, you're getting exposed to different foods. I think it has a tremendous impact on really supporting the microbiome and supporting diversity in that way. Like within the United States, I mean, people tend to gravitate towards eating only a handful of foods and we mm. don't have the variety. And, you know, as I talk about in Beyond the Pill, like you want to be eating a variety of fibers, like getting the things that you, even if you're just like, it's something that like in my clinic we'll use psyllium husk and patients will say, well, I don't understand. Like, I, you know, is this for constipation or like what's going on? I'm like, no, you, you only need, I only want you to take like a very small amount, like a half a teaspoon to two teaspoons, like, and have that, you know, throughout the week because it's just variety of fiber, things mm. that you don't encounter. And in that way, we can bolster microbial diversity, which, you know, as we um, chatted about, you know, the ways hormonal birth control impacts you in my book, I have a chapter called Gut Check because we now understand that hormonal birth control, the researchers are saying it's on par with antibiotics in terms of how it decimates microbial diversity. So it cuts down the number of good gut bugs and leads to leaky gut. And wow. so one way start to combat that is increase your fiber and not just your increase your fiber. Like I'm going to go eat all the psyllium husk. Don't do that. You won't feel good. You'll hate me. Um, (laughs) but more of like get variety, making sure that you're eating, you know, every plant that you can encounter that's, and I'm a real big fan of seasonal, but that doesn't always happen in people's lives. And I think, um, you guys, as you're listening to me, understand that I don't do dogma. Mm. I do not do dogma, especially dietary dogma. That's Woman after the- my own heart. Yep. <laughs> well, it's born out of, you know, as a physician, I have a unique background in that my, you know, I have my first degree was in chemistry. My next degree was in nutritional biochemistry, along with studying the clinical track. I thought I was going to be a registered dietitian there for a minute, ended up going a different route. But with that, I think that what I see happens a lot in, you know, I'm doing air quotes, the health space is that we start to vilify things. 
we start to make up rules. I think the most damaging thing that we can do is start making up rules around food. Like these are arbitrary rules. Like, you know, to say like, you can only have one bite of this or never even look at this thing. And it's like, I really, you know, what I set out to do in Beyond the Pill is to help people answer the question for themselves, what is true for me? Mm. And so there is a whole dietary protocol in there that we've developed in my clinic of like certain ways to eat that are in line with your hormones and leveraging seed cycling. And you're going to cut out foods for 30 days, but you're not doing it because they're bad. You're doing it because you're going to understand how is this impacting your body right now and understanding that things change. Like there, I mean, I was someone who had an egg sensitivity and because I was on hormonal birth control and it was causing leaky gut and I was eating eggs all the time because I was a vegetarian who was trying to keep my protein up to match my, you know, caloric expenditure and trying to bulk muscle in my 20s and I developed an egg sensitivity. I felt awful. Mm. I'm not sensitive to eggs anymore because they healed my gut. I started I started eating different eggs, choosing higher quality. I got my own chickens like and I was able to bring eggs back in. And so I just say all of that because you know, I think gluten is the one um gluten's the the tough one that it's yeah. like, oh if you have an autoimmune disease, it's really tough, but it also depends on where you're at in the world. Um, so can we? You know, can I just interrupt you there for people yeah, who are I'm relatively? Answer, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I'm like, I think if I don't ask a question right now, she could go on for hours. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so disclosure, everybody. My book came out yesterday. I stayed up until like 2 a.m. because. Just so many positive messages were coming through and we were so excited. I'm going on very little sleep and I'm super, I'm still going on that excitement and that high. So please, Alex, rein me in. (laughs) Yeah, I'm reining you in because I think this is a really interesting one, the gluten and autoimmunity connection. And to just help people understand a little bit more about why that really seems to be becoming uh, more and more certain in the research. What What is the connection? Yeah, this is a great question. So um, we have known for decades, so some of the early autoimmune diseases to identify that gluten was a trigger and an issue um, was psoriasis. And then we've also seen it with Hashimoto's. Now, there is a protein. So gluten is a protein and within it, there's a protein called gliadin. And that gliadin molecule has an amino acid sequence that is similar. So basically you can just think like ABC. So it's, it's similar enough. ABC, the three, three little protein or three amino acid code is similar enough to your skin, similar enough to your thyroid that if you have intestinal hyperpermeability, which there's been research to show that gluten can cause that. This is also known as leaky gut. If you don't digest that protein adequately, your body will see that gliadin. It will make an antibody to it because that's what your body's supposed to do. That's a foreign protein. That means foreign invader. That means danger potentially. It makes an antibody. Mm -hmm. Now that antibody gets, can get confused. And this is molecular mimicry where it gets confused and now it's, it's docking onto your thyroid or it's docking on to your skin. And then it sends out the signal to the immune system. This is not us. We need to attack it. Oh boy. And there's a whole lot of it. So let's trigger autoimmunity. Autoimmunity is where you start attacking yourself. As I explain it in Beyond the Pill, there's a whole section about autoimmunity because there's a connection to hormonal birth control. Our hormones are involved in all of that. And I like to say, you know, if you have a sibling, I'm one of three, uh, it's basically like your, you know, autoimmune disease is like your brother's sitting on top of you 
grabs your arms and starts hitting you and says, quit hitting yourself. Like that's auto. <laughs> You're hitting yourself. Mm. Um, and so with gluten, we've come to understand that yes, it has this gliadin. Yes, that can be an issue. However, it's something that we see. So I've had so many patients who are like, if I eat gluten in the United States, I get a migraine, I get joint pain, I end up with an autoimmune flare, my eyes are puffy, I can't poop, like there's all these symptoms that come up. Mm. And then they go to another country. So like Italy is great for gluten free, but I've had patients go there and they're like, I ate all the pasta all day, every day, I never had an issue, which made the researchers start to dive into, well, what is up with the pesticides in the mm. United States? And maybe it's actually the pesticides that are being used that are you know, being metabolized by the gut microbes. And those are actually what are, is lending to it being such an issue. So perhaps it's not the gluten alone, but what it really is, is that, you know, we've got, so within the United States, they spray the pesticides on the um, wheat before they harvest it. Mm. That's weird. Um, why do you do that? Yeah. Um, they desic- and then they- it's called a desiccant, right? To make it faster mm-hmm. and easier to, um, to uh, harvest, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I will tell you, like when it comes to food, if you ever are looking for efficiency with food, you are getting yourself in trouble. Whether mm. that is efficiency in how you harvest, efficiency in how you grow, efficiency in any of food production, and including efficiency in your kitchen, you're usually sacrificing some some level of nutritious quality that you know we really we are way more complex than just macros or micronutrients. And mm. I think in the future, we're going to come to understand that there's a lot more communication happening between our cells and plant cells and animal cells and the things that we consume, that there's a, a, it's much more synergistic than the reductionistic mindset. And this is somebody that's been studying nutrition for decades saying, yeah. I don't think it's just about vitamin C. I don't think it's just about fats or carbs or any of that. I think it's much, much more complex and we're just not at a place to understand it. But does that make sense in terms of clarifying like what's going on with autoimmune disease, its impact on the gut and how gluten ties into that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I read some research. I can't exactly pinpoint the source right here, right now, but I'll make sure I dig it up for the show notes, but that there was also potentially um, something to do with the way uh, wheat has been hybridized over the decades. And it's like pushed the gliadin content much higher than say a wheat plant of of a hundred years ago and that that totally. was also kind of compounding the pesticide um suspicion in terms of why can i eat this in france and be fine and not in the u.s or australia so yeah it's very, totally very and in, interesting in france like i mean they they have so many different flowers that they're mm. using like they take their bread seriously and i will full disclosure um and you will have seen this on my instagram stories <laughs> if you follow me i have been eating gluten here yeah. i eat gluten and i haven't had an issue what's interesting about my son um, you know, having pandas is that the first thing, so he hasn't actually wanted dairy. He's had no interest in dairy. And I respect like if your child is, um, you know, if, if your child's wanting to just eat French fries and, uh, you know, potato chips, that's not a good thing. But if your child is like, I'm having an aversion to that right now, like respecting that and understanding that they know their body better. He hasn't wanted any dairy. Totally fine. 
But we pulled out gluten and it was really interesting because he, it was the first time in his entire life that he had had gluten. And so I was like, I'm a terrible human and a game and K gluten. And that's why everything went bad. That's not what happened. Um, but I mm. went there in my head, we pulled it out. Um, and you know, and then we brought it back in and we tested it like a month later and it's had no impact. The thing that's had impact is sugar. Yeah. And we found that what the, the worst day that he had uh, was a day we gave him gelato. And that was like, okay, that was really quick in uh, sugar. Uh, it was not a good scene. But so um, it is, you know, to say that like I'm someone with Hashimoto's. If I eat gluten in the United States, if I get – if somebody puts a crouton on my salad mm. and then they take it off and then they serve me that salad – I will get joint pain. I will. It feels like I have crowbars in Mm. my shoulders and my hips. It's the worst. Um, Here, I, you know, ate gluten and I'm like, didn't even skip a beat. I'm like, what just happened here? Like, I tried it and I was like, wait three days. What's going to happen? And I'm like, wow, nothing. Mm. Nothing happened. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but I'm not going and buying anything that is processed. So I will also say that, like, I'm going to the people who are straight up making the bread in their like facility. And it's, you know, a very different way of life. Very different. I mean, I love the fact that in, in France, you are not allowed to call yourself a boulangerie. So a bakery, unless you are literally just using flour, yeast, salt, and water for your bread, anything else. And you are like black band. It's like, no, 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 no. You do not get to call yourself a boulangerie. And I just think there's something so honorable in the upholding of quality above all else. It's so, so lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's somewhere there, like they, I, it's so, so anybody who's listening right now, I really recommend like coming to Paris, don't get a hotel, get like an Airbnb, spend a couple weeks here, live like a Parisian, it is hard to find processed food. You have mm. to go out of your way for it. It is so much easier to come out of my door, walk around the corner and be like, there's the produce stand. Here is, I can't say boulangerie as beautiful as you do. Um, you know, it's okay. I'll take the French words. It's all great. Yeah, yeah, you take them. But, you know, going to the cheese shop and all of that. Yeah. And like, I have to go to the Franc Prix and, um, you know, go into a certain aisle to find like potato chips if I wanted that, for yeah. instance. Like it's, it's a bit more of an effort. Whereas in the United States, it's very flipped. And I just want to highlight that because if you are somebody, you know, and, and you have listeners in Australia, I actually need to go there and, and experience that. That's on the list. Um, oh, you should totally think, come. We've got great markets oh, here. It's definitely happening. Mm. That's, it's decided. We yeah. decided it right now in this moment, everybody holding Good. accountable. There it is. Uh, we'll put on an no, event. <laughs> I think that um, people get really, you know, in the United States, they can feel really, really shamed. And they're like, uh, you know, because they're choosing convenience food and, we have to understand that, like, so as you were talking about on the ancestral level, um, we are programmed to seek out the most calorically dense food in the most laziest capacity possible. Because once upon a time, food was hard to come by and like you didn't want to expend a ton of energy. And so you're literally programmed to do this at the genetic level. And within the United States, it's like they just need it's easier to find convenient food. Um convenience food. It's cheaper to find convenience food than it is to find whole foods. And then you're, you're programmed to want to do that. And so this is sometimes why, you know, the dietary and lifestyle shifts, it can feel a little bit more difficult. We can bring some shame with it. Cause we're like, why can't I just control myself or this and that? And I think 
so much, and I really aim to do this in Beyond the Pill, is to help women hold grace for themselves and understand mm. that, like, in some ways, society is not working with you on, on some of these things. And, like, you're going to have to be the odd one out, like, in some is- instances. And, like, you know, I've been in the health and wellness space for two decades now. And it's something that, I mean, I can absolutely, I mean, do you remember the time where anybody who was like, I think gluten causes problems. People were like, you're crazy. I know. It's just a fad a trend. Now we have all this research coming out um, yeah. that it just is something where I'm like, we're learning every day. And if we just stay humble and we stay curious, like we can be more fluid and flexible rather than doing that dogma. And in my clinic, we say dogma equals death because when you get that rigid, you're no longer an adaptable organism. Well, and some would say like true scientific purists would say you're no longer a scientist either because (laughs) the essence of science is this evolution and discovery cycle that we just keep kind of riding the wheel of, oh, and now we've got this new information, we can test for this and we can look at that and look at what that's uncovered. Like I always use the example of, um, who was it that I was interviewing? I think it was Dr. The beautiful um, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. And uh, I mean, you know, he's like a stalwart in integrative cardiology. I think he basically Mm -hmm. wrote the book on it, right? And Mm -hmm. he says, look, if I kept going by what I was studying uh, when I went through medical school, I would still be telling people till I was blue in the face that there were only four neurotransmitters. And like, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, when are we going to actually accept that new information comes to light and it is worth leaning into that and exploring with curiosity and objectivity, of course, you don't Mm want to ride waves before you analyze but you know it's uh i find it fascinating that we can be so dogmatic in in a world that is so clearly not black and white it is crazy it's so anti-science like Mm. i so appreciate you saying that because like i mean admittedly to a fault at one point i made science somewhat my god was like oh my god like worshiping like the (laughs) like Mm. science in a way in my 20s but it is something that um, people who come out and they're like, I'm a skeptic and like I I am like a scientist. And then it's like, but you're so rigid and so dogmatic and science demands that you stay, you stay curious, that you are open to possibility and exploration. There's so much that we don't understand. And something that I, people have probably heard me say this is that, you know, as a doctor, you are a scientist, you should be seeking to disprove your own hypothesis. Like when you enter, you know, you have an idea. So with like post birth control syndrome, I'm like, (laughs) let me try to prove this wrong. Like Mm. what I'm observing and what I'm seeing, could it be something else? Let me try to sh- like figure out, could it be something else going on? Because before I go, this is the thing, this is the one thing. And you know, as I've been sharing in interviews, I developed this term post-birth control syndrome. It is a descriptive term. That's what a syndrome is in medicine. It's a collection of signs and symptoms that go together. With post-birth control syndrome, it's the signs and symptoms that arise when women come off of hormonal birth control. Sometimes it's within days or weeks. Sometimes it's four to six months later. Sometimes it's a year later. And that's usually, whenever I get into my patient's timeline, it's like, well, it was, it was starting, like you were noticing around four months and then you just kept pushing through, pushing through, trying your best, trying things. And then two years later, you're like, I can't take it anymore. These symptoms have gotten the best of me, which can make it really confusing for doctors to put that connection that it was actually hormonal birth control that contributed to this. But 
with post-birth control syndrome, it's a starting place for language. Mm. Just like adrenal fatigue was a starting place for language. Now we have, we have studied it. We've refined it. It is now known as HPA dysregulation. And you'll read about that in Beyond the Pill of like, and I is my hope in 20 years that post-birth control syndrome is a term that we say historically it was called this. Now we understand it so much more. Mm. This is actually what's going on and this is and this is what it, it actually means. But we have to have that starting place with language, which is the other thing that if anyone shames you for saying adrenal fatigue or leaky gut or using these like what is the purpose of language? The purpose of language is to convey a thought and have somebody understand you and come to the same needing place. Mm. You are not wrong in saying that. And in fact, it's an opportunity for us to have a dialogue about like, yes, we called it adrenal fatigue. However, now we understand your adrenals aren't giving out is how your brain and your adrenals are communicating. And like, this is, this is what we're understanding now. Like it's an opportunity. And I just want to say that because you know, I have patients who get really, they're like, I said adrenal fatigue. And my doctor was like, you're an idiot. That's not even a real thing. And it's like, oh my God, like stop already. Like if that patient is saying that to you instead of shutting down because that's your own bias and your own visceral emotional response, which also has no place in science, you stay curious and be like, well, what do they mean when they say that? What does that exactly mean? Like when they're using, I mean, my patients come and say things to me where I'm like, okay, that like systemic candida, I have systemic candida. And I'm like, okay, if you have systemic candida, that means you have candida growing in your bloodstream. So people listening, this is like in medicine, that's what it means. And you likely have HIV or cancer. Like that's, that's what that means. You would be hospitalized. And so doctors will be quick to be like, oh, that's not a real, you can't have systemic candida. But then you can ask the question, well, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I was just about to say, like, imagine if everybody took the opportunity for um, an extra question instead of a shutdown when a patient shares a syndrome or a symptom or something they think they might have. Um, You know, I remember like I always use the story of my sister who had a throat tumor, it turns out. And um, yeah, exactly. When she was like three months old, she was the first baby to survive a tracheotomy in Australia in 1980. It was like really huge stuff. And my mom kept going to the doctor and saying, there's something up with this baby. I've had a newborn baby before, which was me. Um, and yes, I'm five years older than you, Nat. Um, and, <laughs> um, and, but like, she just kept being shut down. She's like, oh no, babies mm-hmm. cry. It's normal. But she feels like she's having difficulty crying. No, no, it's normal. And she got recommended, um, sent to a psychiatrist. Yes. And it was oh. literally two days later that Natalie turned blue in her cot and she had to rush to hospital. And that's when everything went down. And she lived in hospital for six months and I got um, shipped off to my grandparents. So like, you know, we shut people down instead of asking for this. So what makes you think that this breathing is labored? Like, can you explain to me what are you seeing when, you know, like imagine if that is the way we moved forward with our patients. It's like well, I know lots I- of doctors who do and I just encourage any practitioner out there to think when you think you want to just shut someone down because they're saying something that sounds close-minded to you, ask another question for clarification because it might open up exactly where you need to go to help that person with their health. Totally. And you know, this is something to what you're speaking to, like your mom was recommended mental health for having a concern. Now, 101 in my life is that you, in my practice is that you never dismiss a mom. Like moms have an intuition and they know their child way better than any any lab test or anything will. Yeah. Um, but women also know their bodies very well. And what you're speaking to is really what's a well-documented, and I talk about this in Beyond the Pill, 
medical gender bias. Mm. It's well documented. Studies are coming out. Books are coming out. You know, major medical schools like Harvard are changing their curriculum because they realize there is something not even overt. It's very covert and subliminal what's being taught to doctors. And that is if a woman comes to you with a complaint, she's likely it's all in her head. This is a throwback to when they called us hysterical mm. and they thought our uterus was wandering our body. Which <laughs> P.S. When your doctor goes to dismiss you, and this is something like when doctors say to me like, post birth control syndrome isn't real or these birth control side effects you're talking about they're not really real and like I don't believe in that and I'm like that's cute that you don't believe in that but P.S. you also come from a lineage who thought that you, the, the uterus wandered the body okay so like let's take a minute and be like we've come a long way could we keep going could we keep going here but this is something that like it, very much women's medicine needs to change yeah. and I recognize this you know while I was still in um, naturopathic medical school I'm like okay women's medicine needs to change and and as I got into practice, I'm like, it's never going to change because of one doctor. It's never going to change because of like every doctor saying this needs to change. Like, well, I mean, every doctor that would. So let me take that back. But how it's really going to change is that when we take the medicine and we put it into women's hands, and that's what I did in Beyond the Pill, is I'm like, I don't have time to argue with people who have a fixed mindset. And you need help now. We know the average woman in the United States is going to take her five plus doctors just to get listened to and get a diagnosis. We know the average research study that comes out, if your doctor reads it, it's going to take like 17 years before it really becomes part of medical practice. Like at my age, if I waited for that, I wouldn't even have periods anymore. Like mm. I don't have time for that. We don't have time to sit around and like hope that medicine is going to, you know, radically change to, you know, improve for us. It's really the way I see it's going to change is that we take our power back. We start healing our bodies. We become the living proof of what is possible to our doctors, to the people that are in our life. And then we start asking. We start asking for better from our providers. I think that's really how we're going to see all of this shift and change is it's going to start with a single woman healing herself, reaching out to her sisters, her friends, talking to her doctor about it. And it'll be just this wave that happens. And it's a very exciting time to be a woman. I just have to say that. <laughs> I agree. I mean, as someone who writes education programs for women to help them move the needle on their health and their sustainability goals, like I see it every day. I get emails every single day, as I'm sure you do, like where people are like, oh my gosh, I ditched all the synthetic fragrance and we became pregnant three months later. Like, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. And we tried everything and they told us mm -hmm. we weren't going to be able to have babies and I get this kind of stuff all the time. And that's just because one person does a course and they say, hey, you know, like maybe you should check out this course this lady runs and then boom, like things start to happen when we empower ourselves. We can't wait for everybody to officially say there's a problem. I agree. Mm -hmm. mm. So let's just talk a little bit more about birth control side effects because I think this is interesting. We talked about the gut health. We then did our big gluten tangent, which I think was important. But there are a few other things that you talk about in Beyond the Pill, and I urge everybody to get that book, by the way. I've got it in the show notes for you guys as to exactly where you can get it, um, which is pretty much worldwide, which is good. Um, but cancer risks, talk us through that, because that's concerning, especially when you see the rise in female cancers. Um, and like, what are you particularly concerned about in the research at the moment that links the pill to increased cancer risks? I think this is a, you know, a great question. This is one that women get really scared about. Mm. And um, this was the hardest chapter for me to write in the book, The Metabolic Mayhem, 
where I walk through um, in the cancer, the stroke risk, heart attack. And it's, it was hard because I, I think too much of our decision making in women's medicine as a, as a woman myself, not as a practicing doctor, but as a woman, it's, it's fear-based. It's like, mm. I'm going to get on the pill because I'm afraid I'm going to get ovarian cancer. And I'm told this is the only way to prevent it. Mm. It is one way. It does. It does lower the risk of ovarian cancer, but then it raises the risk of other cancers. Mm. And I didn't want women to read this book and to feel like the, the you know, they were being fear mongered in one way or another. And it was, it's a very uh, difficult thing to navigate in terms mm. of like, when you start talking about cancer and what's interesting about the pill, so the combination pill in particular, which is the synthetic estrogen and progestin, not progesterone, is that they came out with the newer generation, which was a lower dose. And what they said was, it's a lower dose. Therefore, the risk of cancer is going to be lower. And this was being said by doctors. I mean, just being touted everywhere. Never did they have a study to support what they were claiming. So this is something to keep in mind when doctors start saying, well, where's your study for that? Remember that like that medicine, you know, sometimes they've got that, you know, uh, double standard going mm. on there. So then a study came out and showed actually cancer risk is not lower. The breast cancer risk in particular was not actually lower. Now, when we talk about the breast cancer risk, it's a small percentage, uh, you know, increase. So it's it's not like oh, you know, you're going to be fifty percent higher at, um, at you know risk, but it is something to understand that it's cancer we're talking about. So <clears throat> with that, doctors will say it's a mild increased risk of breast cancer. True, statistically speaking, it is a mild increased risk. However, on the individual level, we have to evaluate one. But this is cancer. This isn't acne. It isn't mm. hair loss. Hair loss sucks, but you don't die from it. Mm. This is cancer. This has a. This is not only going to impact her life. It's going to impact every single person within her life and like her bank account and her quality of life. Like there's a lot more going on to that. But the other thing is, is that how can we just say broadly, based on a general population, a general study, this is a, a minimal risk for her? What if she is living in an area where she's exposed to a higher amount of environmental toxins? What is her family history like? What is her diet like? Is she a night shift worker? Like We have to start looking at these things that put us at increased risk as it is so that we can evaluate on the individual level. And that's what I speak a lot to in Beyond the Pill is that Yes, we can make these general claims. However, you as a person, if I, you were in my office sitting across from me, I don't care what the general statistics are. I care about what are those statistics through the lens of what's true for you. Mm. Now, we know with the pill, breast, cervical, liver, and brain cancer are all increased with it. And there was a study that came out just recently in the New England Journal of Medicine. Um, it was over one. 1.8 million women um, that they followed, and they were 15 to almost 50 years of age, and they found uh, there was an elevated risk of um, of uh, cancer with these synthetic hormones, hormonal contraceptives, and they also found that the progestins, which we also find in like the IUDs, mm. those were at an, uh, put women at a higher risk of breast cancer as well. And so, you know, from, to just help women, you know, wrap their head around it. So for every 100,000 women who do not use hormonal contraceptives, about 55 are likely going to get breast cancer. Once you introduce hormonal birth control, that rises to 68 are mm -hmm. likely to get breast cancer. So that's like 13 more people a year, which makes doctors go, 
eh, it's 13 more people out of 100,000. But it's like, but hold up. What is her, like, is she using a deodorant that's mm. full of endocrine disruptors every day? Like, there's other variables. And it's a, the it's way a I, soup, isn't it? And it's how many ingredients yeah. you put in the soup that makes it bubble over and burn someone. That's how I always Perfect. think of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I usually say, like, it's a drop in the bucket. And yeah. how many drops are already in the bucket? And is the pill going to cause it to spill over? Like, mm. is it going to overflow? Um, Basically, there's a bunch of vessels and they're overflowing and killing people. Yeah. And the other thing I think is worth noting and bringing up, I talk about human papillomavirus, HPV, within the metabolic mayhem chapter. And the risk of invasive cervical cancer is increased the longer a woman stays on hormonal birth control. And so this is what you get a pap for is so that you're screening for this. Now, they know this risk increases. They In the studies, they haven't been super clean because they haven't been able to say, well, is it increasing because maybe women are using the pill? They're not using condoms. They have a higher, uh, they're contracting HPV at a higher rate. However, there is research to suggest you are more likely to be susceptible to an HPV infection and other sexually transmitted infections while you're on hormonal birth control because of the alterations that it causes in your vaginal ecology, your immune system. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, there's a lot of things going on with that. And so, you know, within the metabolic mayhem chapter, I really try to go through and not scare you, give you the facts and the information. And then also I give you, there's checklists throughout the entire book. Like every, I think every single chapter has a checklist. And one of those checklists is like, am I at risk for cancer? Like, here are the things that you should evaluate. And if you, if you already are checking off all of these things, like it's a yes to all of these things, then maybe using birth control, like hormonal birth control isn't the next best step, or you need to have some lifestyle modifications before you go that route. Mm. And fertility is another um, thing that comes up again and again in the um, hormonal birth control uh, discussion. I remember uh, one of my great awakenings towards naturopathic medicine was when uh, I didn't have a period for two years after quitting the contraceptive pill. And I think I was on it from about 21 to say 26, seven. So that's, that's about how long I was on it for. And of course, that's when all my digestive issues can be pinpointed back to and, and Mm -hmm. things, of course. Um, but what happened in those two years was I was just a busy, otherwise healthy chick who was very, um, happy in life. And I just didn't see those two years go by. And then when I had my chronic tonsillitis cured by this naturopath, I thought, okay, well, you were so good with that. I've just been told by a GP after a few tests that I might never have a baby and might have early onset menopause. You reckon Mm -hmm. you can sort that out? And she was so upset that I'd been told this so flippantly. Uh, Got me on a whole bunch of disgusting tasting herbs and um, got me swinging too (laughs) about six weeks later. Uh, Let me say all the disgusting tasting herbs. That's why they work. I know, right? They're so good. I tell my patients all the time. Like we we do it in capsule form just because um, it's the follow through. People don't want to take it. And um, I remember when I was trying to get pregnant and taking liquid Vitex. I mean, part of how it works is that taste triggers, triggers mechanisms in your brain. But I tell my patients, I'm like, it's like, like death. It's so bad. It's like swamp water. And then when I say that and they take it, they're like, it wasn't as bad that as you said I'm like yeah uh, nice strategy yeah (laughs) so that was really one of my awakenings and I thought my gosh like how many people think they may have a fertility issue sometimes when they actually just need to correct themselves after having been on the contraceptive pill and something about the pill 
skewed them. So can you talk me through like what's going on there? Why does the pill affect our fertility once we come off it and think we're going to be fine to do the horizontal tango, make babies, and then that's not what happens for so many of us. Right. And, you know, this is something we have all been told is that hormonal birth control doesn't have any effect on your fertility. When you can come off, you can get pregnant right away. Like that I have yet to encounter a woman whose doctor didn't just brush off her concerns about starting it fertility. They're like, no, you'll just get pregnant right away. Don't worry about it. Um, so many of our conversations, right? Just don't worry about it. Why are you worrying about it? Cause it's my body. It's my life. So what we know with, um, right now we don't have great research when it comes to fertility and the long-term outcomes with that, with hormonal birth control. And I go through this. So there's an entire chapter in beyond the pill about fertility. And I talk within it about some of the things we do know. So one thing is, is that some women, it can take as much as 18 months to begin ovulating again when you come off of hormonal birth control. There have been studies to show this. And with that in mind, if you're a woman who's 38 and you would like to become pregnant and you're thinking, well, I'll just get off the pill in the next like six months to a year and boom, I'll be pregnant. That might not happen because it could take you a good couple of years to be able to start ovulating again. And now, of course, you know, you're entering into your 40s. As we enter in our 40s, we are edging up on, you know, the time where the body is done with baby Mm. making. So that's an individualized, uh, you know, recommendation that we have to make for women is that like, okay, so based on your factors, uh, your, you know, what's going on with you, you may need to come off sooner. Now, the other thing is that there have been, so reproductive endocrinologists have actually been raising this question. So they're the ones doing IVF and they're like, what is going on? That women, we can fertilize an egg, but we can't, the woman can't hold the pregnancy. Well, there's been preliminary studies showing that the receptors within the endometrium, so the lining of your uterus, become downregulated while you're on hormonal birth control. They don't necessarily come back. And how I talk about it in Beyond the Pill is that if those receptors aren't there, you don't get hormonal stimulation, baby isn't going to implant because it's like, you know, it should be a big fluffy down comforter that you just want to nestle into, but instead it's like a rock hard floor. There's nowhere Mm. really for you to nestle into. And so... With that, we really need to seek to understand like who's impacted by it. And this is something that I've absolutely had doctors dismiss this and be like, well, that's not a real thing. And I'm like, except that hormonal birth control lowers the risk of endometrial cancer. And this is the mechanism by which it's believed to do that. So you can't have it both ways. It's just like with the mood symptoms. So with hormonal birth control and the correlations with mood symptoms, you know, doctors will say, oh, you are having anxiety, depression, mood swings, you know, the PMS symptoms because of your hormones. So it'll put you on these synthetic hormones. But these synthetic hormones can't have any impact on your mood because they don't have a study that's, that's good enough to, to prove that. And it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you just said like, the, that my hormones can cause these things. And yet, you know, the, the, you know, and right now, yeah, we don't have a study to say causation with the pill. All we can say is there's a correlation. And we all have a friend who took the pill or gonorrhea, or, you know, any other hormonal contraceptive, and their mood tanked. Like, mm. this is not news to any woman on mm. this planet. It somehow still seems to be, like, controversial news to doctors, to which I'm like, really, at this point, can we stop arguing whether women are telling the truth or not? And can we just move on with, well, why? Mm. Why her? And Like, why does it, why is this woman come off of the pill and she gets pregnant right away. But this woman comes off the pill and she can't get pregnant. And part of it is, yes, we're using hormonal birth control for symptom management and delaying the diagnosis in women who have PCOS, for example, or 
endometriosis. Endometriosis and PCOS, like most of women's medicine, doesn't get the respect and the attention it deserves. But with endometriosis, that's estimated to be 12% of infertility cases. And we understand that women with endometriosis are often put on the pill at a very young age, and then they're left on it. They come off of it decades later, but that pill, while it was making their period problems, you know, disappear and less painful, and yes, thank goodness we have that tool and women have that option, at the same time, it was doing nothing for the adhesions, nothing to really, you know, stop the disease progression. So yeah, it could be that you had a pre-existing condition that was left unchecked and unmanaged properly because you were on hormonal birth control and your doctor believed you were having regular periods, as Mm. I do air quotes, really those are... (laughs) Um, from medications. So, you know, that's a possibility too in all of this. And then as you'll read in Beyond the Pill, there's a very good reason why you do not want to become pregnant within six months. And I have to say, I actually submitted my manuscript. I wrote all about like, you need to give yourself at least six months to do preconception care. Cause this is what I've seen clinically for women having better outcomes during pregnancy, better outcomes, postpartum, better outcomes with baby is I'm like, they at least put in six months of preconception care a year or two is even better, but I totally get it. But if you're like in your thirties and you want a baby, like you wanted a baby yesterday. Mm. So it's been so hard sometimes to say go more than six months, but I submitted this manuscript and What was interesting is that several months later, we're in the revising process. If anybody's ever written the book, they know. You like think you're like, here it is. And then they're like, it's back. And then you're like, here it is. Oh, it's back. And I'm like, (laughs) it's a boomerang. It just keeps coming back. (laughs) Three times. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I think mine's like five or six. And, um, you know, but it's, there's a lot of controversial stuff in here that we really, really wanted to get right and get it right in a way that didn't make anyone feel ashamed or like they were doing a bad thing mm. if they did choose to use the pill or they ever had been on it. Like I did the pill for 10 years. I am not a hypocrite to be like, mm. oh, one should do that. Like, no, like, you know what? I became a doctor, a first generation college student. It was a tool I leveraged and I'm grateful for that. But with this, you know, one of the times that came back, a study came out and said, if women get pregnant within six months of coming off the pill, there is a mild increased risk that her baby will develop childhood cancer. Wow. And that was something that my editors, my husband, everybody was like, did you know this? Like, did you somehow know this? I'm like, no, I did not know this. Like, this study (sighs) just came out. This is just something that I observed clinically, which is to say that anybody who's a practitioner listening, you need to understand that you are getting access to the most valuable data in your practice. They sit across from you. They have conversations with you. They bring you all this information that like we are trained to think that we have to, we have to wait for a study to validate what our patients are saying. Having a research background, you know, being a scientist at my core, I just started documenting and, and writing things down and recognizing patterns. There's patterns. All these women are saying the same thing. There, and then when I got into the research, I'm like, oh, what? what? Like we had studies in the 1970s talking about these fertility concerns. It's like nobody ever said that to me. And most doctors haven't seen these studies because there's a lot to know as a doctor, especially now. And, you know, there's a lot of ways where hormonal birth control is seen as this this instrumental tool in the women's movement, and 100% it is. But for some reason, here's another another story that just kind of got bound up. And we just have to recognize they're just stories. Like, we get to rewrite them at any point, which is to say, if you question hormonal birth control in any way, 
or you raise these concerns to a woman, you are then challenging her right to be part of this women's movement, to have, to control her reproductive health. And it's like, it doesn't have to be black and white. And in Beyond the Pill, you know, I say for all my feminists, now the crazy thing is when I started talking about all of this, like, you know, years ago, people came at me. They were like, you're anti-feminism, you're anti-women, you're hurting people. Now it's much more of a conversation. Millennials are like on board with all of this. They're like, yeah, I want to know my body. It's been, is watching the conversation shift over the years has been so fascinating. But, you know, for all of my women who do identify themselves as feminists, you know, I wrote in the book, the way I see the new feminism is that you know your body and your options so well that at the end of the day, you know you made the best decision for yourself. Who cares what anyone else is saying? It's your life, it's your body. You're the only one who lives in it, you're the only one that knows you're normal, and you're the only one that can make the contraceptive decision for yourself, and at the end of the day, you should be the one making that decision. I think that is so, so fantastic um, and so true. You know, it is not about like damning people who do use the pill, but really just about waking everybody up to the potential effects and um, becoming a master of your own body and then deciding for yourself. And I'd love to know what you think of the other options, the IUD, the Mirena. Are there any um, implantable or like non-condom slash diaphragm options um, that, (laughs) that, that, well, (laughs) You know, I'm going to come right out and say I'm a condom person myself. Like I actually just, and I remember a guy, this is so too much information for an international (laughs) podcast, but I remember a guy once in my 20s and I'm whispering because my husband's in the next room. This is going to be good, you guys. Turn it up. (laughs) Saying, oh no, I don't do condoms. And I was like, oh, well, uh, I'm not here then. Like, bye. And, um, you know, because I really took control of my own options and body. And I think the more we have these slightly embarrassing, like I'm actually blushing right now in my office as we talk, but these conversations where we actually learn from each other and go, actually, yeah, why not for Christ's sakes? Like, why can't we do that? And why, why can't I insist that that's the way this show happens? Otherwise it doesn't happen at all. Like become the masters of our own bodies and our own contraceptive choices. Oh, what you're what you're speaking to, I write about in Beyond the Pill, which is that like if you don't want to have a baby, then the burden of preventing that pregnancy or getting pregnant falls on you. Mm. And that's where men think they can say, "Oh, I don't do condoms." Mm. <laughs> it's like, who are you? Like, what is that? Like, mm. sexually transmitted infections are a thing, dude. Like, mm. wake up. Totally. Um, you know, but that's really why we've seen little iterations on technology for contraceptives for women. Is like. It's part of that bias. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I could go off on that forever, but let's talk about other like contraceptives. So, you know, at the end of the day, you have to recognize that every single form of birth control has its side effects. I mean, fertility awareness method, I love it in, uh, as a tool to really get to know and understand your body. Not everybody wants to use it as their like form of preventing pregnancy. I think it is so good, though, for getting dialed into your body and getting that data. But the side effect of that, while it's non-hormonal, 
because you could get pregnant. Like if you're having sex, like that could happen. And so you have to really, you know, and in Beyond the Pill, I actually went through uh, chapter 13 is all the non-hormonal birth control options. Um, because, you know, the assumption is that like, if, if you're coming here, your doctor's talking to you about all these hormones. I really wanted to go even deeper into like, let's go into like all of this stuff with like Depo and IUD. And, and that ended up being like, you wouldn't have been able to hold the book. Like it was just getting way too massive. And um, so with that, what I say to my patients is like, I do have patients that decide they want to get the Marina IUD depo and, um, the implant. Those are ones that I'm like, you know, I really, I just, I really am cautious with those because once they're in it's depo, you're waiting three months for your body to process it out. The implant, once that's in, I mean, it's a surgical procedure. You got to go back and have somebody remove it. And, um, I just had, um, someone reach out to me, her insurance had changed. She no longer could get her doctor to see her and get it removed and like couldn't afford to get it removed. And I was like, oh my God, like this is not the wow. way things should be done. No. Um, so, you know, with that, that's why I'm cautious with yeah. those. I And anytime there's a newer technology that comes out that is invasive, shutting down your reproductive system is invasive. Um, I'm very cautious with my patients. And today, to them, I say like, we have the drug trials, but the real trials begin once the drug enters the general public. Like the, the trials are a cherry picked population who go through a funnel to, you know, make it as clean as possible to get the outcomes. It really doesn't always, it doesn't fit the general population sometimes. And so with that, I'm always really cautious with my patients. My patients are like family. I'm like, yeah, let's like let that just play out for a while and see what happens before let's we jump on Let's not be the guinea board. pig. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And so, you know, when, if you are choosing, so if my patient, for example, wants to do like Skyla, Kylina, Marina, one of these progestin based, um, IUDs, or they want to use a copper IUD even, I say like, we're going to track your data. Okay. I want you to track your symptoms. What are your menstrual cycles? What's your mood? And you'll go through all of this and be on the pill. So you'll know how to do this too. And <clears throat> we're going to get baseline labs. And I want to see where your labs are at. And then if you're going to go down that route and you're going to get one of these devices placed and, um, you know, with, you know, within the U.S., getting a Marina IUD out is like much easier than getting uh, an implant out. But, you know, whatever it is that you're going to begin, we're going to continue to monitor your symptoms. I want you to monitor your symptoms and we're going to follow up with lab testing generally about like six months later. And it's we have to tweak it because not everything's going to be the same. Like you can't go testing, um, you know, progesterone mm, um, yeah. and estrogen spectrum to get, you know, similar data. But with that, it's really important to do this. And I'll tell you why for everyone listening is that if you have changes that happen, you want to see your doctor sooner than later. And that's a sign it's not working for you. Your body is really good at putting up with like things that just aren't working and we'll find a way, we'll find a workaround until it cannot. And what often happens is that a woman will, you know, start the pill, get the patch, the NuvaRing, an IUD, you know, any of these things. And she'll get that. And then, you know, a couple months later, she's like, I'm kind of like, feeling less motivated and a little less joyful in life start subtle that's nothing that you can diagnose it's not diagnosable mm. it's not enough to bring you to the doctor but then two years later you can't put up with it anymore two years later you're like I'm crying all the time I can't get out of bed I actually haven't seen my friends in months because I don't even care to socialize I'm slipping at work like all these things start coming up and your doctor says well that's depression 
here's a, here's a medication for that. And when you say, well, it got the IUD place, like, could it, could it be anything to do with the IUD? No, that IUD was placed two years ago. Therefore that was, it would have showed up immediately if that was, you know, the side effect you were having, like that story gets played out in medicine, except that, and it's because your doctor, your doctor's not dumb and it's not bad. It's not because they want to hurt you or sabotage you. It's so much going on. They're just not trained in doing a timeline and understanding mm. that like you have to go back deeper. It's that layers of the onion. You've got to peel it back to get to the center to be like, what actually happened? But if you're documenting this and you're like, yep, sure enough. And then like, here it is, like these symptoms crept up, crept up, and then I couldn't handle it. That's something that you can bring to your doctor and you can actually say, I got the Marina IUD placed. These are the symptoms that came up. This is what happened to me. Like then a few months later, this is what I noticed. Then this happened. Now here I am. Now, now you've done the timeline for them, which, you know, in, in the United States, you're getting like a seven, 15 minute visit with your doctor. That can be tremendous time savers that you can get what you need in that visit. But that's something that like we have to take ownership and be accountable to our own bodies and listening and understanding that the symptoms are your body's way of communicating with you. Yeah. And we get this like story in women's medicine, which is that your body's betraying you. You're inherently broken. Being a woman's awful. Hormones are terrible. Like, and the reality is, is like your body would not betray you because why would it want to die? Like it's in it with mm. you for the long, those symptoms are its way of speaking to you. That's its communication mechanism. You just, you got to listen and, uh, you know, be on the pill. I'm going to teach you how to listen, how to like decode. What do these signs and symptoms mean? How to get to your doctor, ask for the right lab test, make sure that they're, they're investigating the right things and what you can do immediately to start feeling better. Because when your hormones are out of balance, you need to feel better sooner than later and recognize that when your hormones are in balance and functioning optimally, they actually give you superpowers. Like you're pretty phenomenal. We are pretty phenomenal. And something I love that you talk about in Beyond the Pill is um, the weight gain issue. Um, and, and I think that's a huge one when the women are coming off the pill because a lot of people do choose to say bye-bye once they um, start to join the dots on their health. And I, I've heard of and, and seen this happen a lot already. Uh, and so what are some tips there? Uh, because obviously weight gain can contribute to like psychologically not feeling so great about yourself. And, and obviously with the metabolic shakeup that can happen when we're on the pill long-term, that can take a little while to resolve. What are some of the, the things that we can really do to, to supercharge um, uh, our systems to start to get back into alignment on that front? Ah, I, pr- I appreciate the way you frame that as well, because I think um, <clears throat> people feel ashamed of being overweight and wanting to lose weight because we're now in this body positive culture. Mm. Um, and then I've had people say, I can't believe you put weight loss on the cover of your book. And I'm like, well, the publishers and I had a really interesting discussion that went like, some women are only going to care about weight loss and this might be the gateway to bring them in so that they get the help that they need. So, excuse me, there goes my voice. I just want to say you shouldn't be feeling ashamed of your body where you're at now and where you want to go. Now with, um, with the weight, it's really interesting because research is like, oh, on average, it's really minimal, the weight gain that women experience. However, when you get into the studies, um, and you won't, this, I couldn't, like we had to cut some stuff out of beyond the pill. So this is something I actually didn't even shared this in an interview yet. So you guys are getting in here Ooh, juicy. And that is, is that when you get into the studies, some women have gained 75 pounds, some women have gained, you know, significant amount of weight and other women have actually lost 
five pounds. So there's these huge variations. And what they did is they said, round it all up, add it all up. You all have done this in school. Add it all (laughs) up and then divide it by the number of women. That's the average. Except that there's a lot more going on that they're not saying. And I've absolutely had patients who are like, I started this pill and I grew like, you know, my body grew by two clothes sizes. Like it just like went up in a couple of months. So there's a few things going on with this. So first thing, women, get your thyroid checked. Get a full thyroid panel, and there's an entire chapter on thyroid and adrenal health within Beyond the Pill, and it guides you in those lab testing and understanding how hormonal birth control can impact your thyroid. Sometimes we get put on the pill because we have the regular periods, and as it turns out, we were hypothyroid all along. Nobody mm. investigated it. And then we get on the pill, and it makes all of that worse. Your your thyroid hormone is your mood, your metabolism, your menses. Like It, it does doing a whole lot in your body. The other issue is that we've got nutrient depletions going on. Things that our mitochondria, the powerhouses of our cells, absolutely need to function. We know that mitochondrial health, muscle mass, those are keys to having an optimal metabolism. And if your mitochondria are struggling, you are going to struggle with your weight. That is for sure. And what I'm more concerned about, this will have to be like addition two, is that uh, if your mitochondria are struggling and your muscle mass is struggling, then we know you're going to be at higher risk of dementia. And who's at higher risk of dementia as it is? Women. Mm. So this is something to keep in mind. Like it's not just about weight. Your metabolism is everything. Now, the other piece is that hormonal birth control can lead to blood sugar dysregulation and insulin resistance. So if you're on it or you've been on it, you need to be eating fat and protein with your meals, lots of veggies, making sure your blood sugar balance is dialed in. You can't be eating like a piece of pie, uh, you know, for breakfast and then going along your way. I don't think a lot of people are doing that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> just understanding like that. Yeah, kind of but often a piece of pie is just disguised as cereal. You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah. yeah. So right. Mm. Right. So, you know, that's another piece. Hormonal birth control is inflammatory. If we're inflamed, we're going to hold on to water weight. That one's an easier fix. You can start eating anti-inflammatories. You can drink things like dandelion leaf tea to help with that because you're so your progesterone your natural stuff's a diuretic progestin is not and so we can hold on to water weight and have that inflammation piece as well and then you know the other thing going on with hormonal birth control which is a, a really big one and i've alluded to it a bit is that you can start losing your muscle mass now it does a really good job at shutting down testosterone production by about 50%. Then it raises sex hormone binding globulin, a protein that grabs on to your testosterone. It's your body's doing it as a way to grab on to all that synthetic estrogen. And so that's dropping your testosterone. And that's why it's really effective when you have acne, like cystic acne that's due to testosterone can work beautifully for that. However, as it's tanking your testosterone, there goes your libido. We all notice that. But it also can be uh, lowering your muscle mass. And so studies have shown that women will have a harder time making strength gains, so actually increasing their muscle mass while using hormonal birth control. It's a big concern in the female athlete population. I've Mm. absolutely seen this clinically. The fastest way to increase your basal metabolic rate, that is you lay on the couch and do nothing and you're burning calories still, increase your muscle mass. But this is a very hard thing to do while you're on hormonal birth control. And you're going to want to dive into the liver chapter of Beyond the Pill, show your liver some significant love, because if you do that, that will start helping shift your testosterone levels as you come off of hormonal birth control in a positive way, not in a let's lose hair on our head and get it on our face and abdomen in a way that let's get our libido back. (laughs) Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love it. 
Um, I think that's fantastic. And I'm really looking forward to that chapter. I have my copy arriving in the mail, hopefully soon. Um, so the last thing I want to ask you about is something that kind of, uh, I actually don't know where I found it. Maybe with you first, but it's called seed cycling and Mm -hmm. it now seems like everybody's talking about it all of a sudden. (laughs) Are you a fan? And can you walk us through what it is if so, um, and how you see it working for women? Yeah, this is Beyond the Pill uh, talks about seed cycling. It is part of the dietary protocols and the right. practices that you're going to want to implement. I've seen tremendous results, women getting their period back, restoring ovulation. Of course, you've got to be doing lifestyle components with it as well. And the funny thing about seed cycling, you're right, everybody's talking about it now. It's just like everybody's talking about castor oil packs and hmm. um, dry skin brushing. And when I was in naturopathic medical school, like this is like what you learn in the first year. Like these are the modalities that you're learning. Um you know, submerging yourself in cold water. Like now everybody's doing that. We have research on it. And back then we were the weirdo freaks because we were doing earthing and like people, <laughs> like people would walk by my house and I'm like out there do walking. That's what it's called. You go out first thing in the morning, you walk in the dew, you ground yourself with the earth. Like these are things that we were doing. Yeah. And now we're seeing research coming out on it. And I am so excited to see it. But it's so funny to watch the trends of like once upon a time, I was the weirdo freak for doing these things, like ending my showers in cold water. People are like, what are you doing? Um, interestingly, my husband's father was, he was a uh, conventional medical doctor. He had the first hydrotherapy clinic in the United States. So oh, wow. all of these things now, yeah, I want everybody to know <laughs> dry screen brushing, castor oil packs, hydrotherapy, all these things now that are getting validation through the research are now coming back into trends that have been part of naturopathic medicine. They were also part of conventional medicine at one point. And then they decided that chemistry was better than lifestyle therapies and let all this fall away. But that's absolutely like my mother-in-law. Well, I remember when my husband and I started dating and I was talking about ending showers in cold water and she's like, oh yeah, my dad taught me to do that since I was a kid. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome because that's what I do with my kid. Um, yeah. So with seed cycling, why I bring all that up is that my mentor who taught me seed cycling, he actually published a book, um, that included seed cycling, uh, 20 years ago. And that was after 20 years of clinical practice. Like, so like for people listening who are like, this is a new trend and I'm just hearing about it. Actually, this is like some old school women's medicine that you can get in on. Now, It is working with your cycle, and if you're not cycling, so your amenorrhea, you don't have a cycle, then you work with the moon phases. I talk a lot about moon phases in my book. Um, There's so much more I wanted to say that we had to cut out. So (laughs) I know. You're a big fan of the moon. What's one of my favorite things that you talk about on Insta? I love it. I am, I am so, I, and when I tell people, like, I, I live my life by the cycles of the moon, they're just like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, I do. Like, mm-hmm. I plan, plan my book coming out when they said your book is going to come out on January 29th. Like, so everybody listening, people don't like to usually go in January but with a book because if it's not about weight loss, most people don't want to buy it. And when they said that to me, I was like, hold up. We're talking about, we're going to have a super full blood new uh, full moon. So full moon as close to the earth as possible. Wolf moon, powerful energy. Um, and it was going to be an eclipse, a blood moon. Like that is some supercharged goodness. <laughs> and I was like, that's coming the week before my book. Like I am in, Oh my God. And we're having like the new moon eclipse the same month. Like they we're doing this. And the publishers were like, okay, we All were right. just looking at the book. And I was like, no, 
this is everything. Like you don't understand. <laughs> so um, with that, with seed cycling, so you guys are like, can you get to the seed cycling bit already? This lady that just goes on tangents. So I, seed cycling. I think I have met my equal in the tangent queen states. I really do think I have. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. We should totally, like, we should have some kind of powwow with Carrie Jones. And then we would just like, it would be, like, we could talk. Oh my gosh, for, let's like, do that. Okay, we're going to, it's decided. I'm going to have you both yeah. on the show at the same time. And we'll just see where the conversation goes. Love oh my it. God. That would yeah. be so much fun. Oh my God. I love her. Um, so seed cycling, you guys. And Carrie Jones is actually, uh, we were chatting. She was my fertility instructor when I was in naturopathic medical school. She also taught seed cycling um, as part of her classes. So with that, um, we're using flax seeds and pumpkin seeds at uh, the first half of your cycle. So day one is the beginning of follicular phase. When you first see blood, your period starts. You can also use the new moon and start it then. Now, people get really dogmatic about seed cycling. I've been seed cycling for 10 years, and I will tell you that if you end up using just one of the seeds at two tablespoons, or you do one of each at one tablespoon each, or you do two tablespoons of both, like it's going to be okay. Find mm-hmm. your rhythm. And really, when you when you start to employ these practices, and then you get really stressed out about like, am I doing it perfect? Like you, you just undid everything yeah, that you were doing. Yeah, I like, totally agree. Stress kills it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just hate when I see people posting, like I I hang out on Instagram mostly and people are like, you must do seed cycling this way. And if you don't, it's not going to work. And like, you have to start over. And all this stuff, I'm like, stop with the rules. Too many rules. Mm. Like, I tend to know that's not going to help anybody. So So can I ask, so you mentioned like starting on day one or starting Mm -hmm. with the new moon. If someone has irregular periods, is it best to start with the new moon if you're wanting to regulate them? You know, you can, so you can really start anytime in your cycle for simplicity's sake. I'm explaining it in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, so with that, it depends on what we're trying to accomplish. So sometimes women have irregular cycles and it's like, oh, sometimes it's 29, sometimes it's 32 days. And we're just wanting to try to find some regularity to that. And we'll try to keep a consistent, like, let's take the average and try to, and that will be your cycle. There will be women who are, um, you know, they'll be like, okay, sometimes my period is 30 days. Sometimes it's 45 days. With that, we we try to adhere to the moon cycle, but the way the moon cycle is synced with their cycle. So you might be a red moon goddess or a white moon goddess. So your period might come on the new moon, you're a white moon goddess, or it might come on the full moon, you're a red moon goddess. And as I talk about beyond the pill, you're just running different energies. There is no right and wrong to this. There just is. And it's really about where you're focusing your attention and your energy in life. So you'll have to get into all of that. So with that, you know, we'll figure out what, where they're with the moon and then we'll try to follow that moon cycle and, and start bringing it in. And so, you know, it can get really tricky and nuanced. I have a whole course called period problem solution where I talk about like all of these different variations Mm. that happen to start to rein all of that in. Um, because it's something where it's like, you might start your period. So, you know, you might be like, okay, I'm following the moon cycle. Oh, but then I started my period and then we're starting to switch seeds and it it can feel a little bit complicated. Um, but I've been doing this with women for so long that I'm like, there is, there is a way to do it for every woman. So here's some things to know though. They have to be fresh ground seeds. Uh, Mm -hmm. you can't get flax seeds on the shelf. Those have been transported sitting on the grocery shelf for who knows how long you're not going to get the same benefits. So Mm -hmm. fresh ground flax seeds. Pumpkin seeds, they need to be raw, um, but you can grind them. People say to grind them. I am seriously, I'm all about like, just get the job done. So mm. sometimes I just grab a handful and I stick them in my mouth and I chew them really, really well. And that's when you want to know what's really, really well. It's like 
30 to 40 chews in like that one. Like a puree like, before you swallow kind of thing. Totally, totally. Mm. And that liberates all of those minerals. Like you're getting zinc from those pumpkin seeds. That's going to help with your testosterone levels. It's going to help with your hormones overall. And then, of course, the fatty acids are part of why all of this works as well. Now, once you ovulate, and that could be with the full moon, and uh, or you, know, you might have a little bit of a variation, you're going to flip your seeds, and they're going to become sesame seeds and sunflower seeds. Again, sesame seeds are going to have to be ground. You can't chew the flax seeds and sesame seeds. You're not a cow. You can't do that very effectively. <laughs> You're going to have to grind it. Just get a coffee grinder. Don't put coffee beans in it because then it's all nasty for like the whole thing gets bad. Mm. Um, but just get a coffee grinder. Really simple. Grind those up. You'll take those and, um, and you'll do the uh, sunflower seeds. Those will be raw as well. You can grind them or you can just grab a handful. Now, what I tell women to do is grind like go ahead and grind up your flax seeds and your pumpkin seeds together like on a Sunday and you can store a week's worth in your freezer. That way you just reach in and you grab like, you know, grab, you know, you can measure it and you can grab like two tablespoons or you, you can just grab a heaping tablespoon, throw it in smoothies, put it on oatmeal, like whatever works for you. But that's one way to make it really convenient and easy to do. And the thing is, is that the reality in the way that we all live our lives is that if it's not convenient and it's not simple, you're not going to do it. And if mm. it's too dogmatic, you're not going to do it either. So like, and understand that like when you start to adopt practices, it's going to take you a few weeks to get into that rhythm and that's yeah. okay. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And so much of this like dogma that's in health is like, you're going to start the diet and you're going to do it perfect from day one. one oh my gosh. Like, I don't know, 80 oh, to 90% yeah. of my patients, 100% fail when mm. they do that. And instead I'm like, put it on your fridge look at it. Every time you open the fridge, start wrapping your head around what's going to go, what you're going to be doing, and then ease your way into it and find the rhythm that works for you. And then you need to be, yes, hundred percent on this for four weeks or, or whatever it is so that we can test and we can get that information, that data and understand what's going on. But I just want to give women permission to not have to be perfect because we have a propensity towards doing that. And then you get introduced with a new lifestyle or diet strategy. And you think like, I have to be hundred percent straight out the gate or I failed. And when we get that mindset, that's when we abandon everything. Mm. That's when we're like, okay, so now I'm not even going to exercise. I'm not going to do any of that because we just get, it's the way that the thoughts start running. When you start running your thoughts in a certain way, you start releasing certain chemicals in your body, your hormones shift, those hormones, chemical shifts, go to reinforce those thoughts. You think more of those thoughts and then it's, it's downhill. And so instead, like holding space and grace for yourself and being gentle with yourself. I think that's like some that being gentle with yourself and community are like the two big things we're really missing in health. Oh, I totally agree. I write about that in my book because I just think, you know, everyone beats themselves up about the state of the world and the state of our health. And that just paralyzes us into inaction and it just doesn't mm -hmm. move us forward. Um, so a qualifying question before we move on and wrap up from the seed mm -hmm. cycling conversation is let's just say we do our two weeks of flax and pumpkin, then we follow yeah. it with two weeks mm -hmm. of the sesame and sunflower and a period doesn't come. Do we mm -hmm. then just go back to flax and pumpkin or do we stay on sesame and sunflower until it comes and then start the flax and pumpkin whenever it finally arrives on day one? Switch. <clears throat> so switch with the moon cycle. If no period comes, go ahead and make the switch. Because if the idea is, is that the sunflower and sesame seeds are helping with progesterone production, what happens when you have a period? We have a drop in progesterone and estrogen. And so we want to go ahead and make that switch and start with that rhythm. And understand that like if your period's been missing, you're going to need a good three months mm. of doing, th doing therapies to even stand a chance at getting uh, your period back. And I say that because, I mean, you've seen it. And I, I don't know that 
I don't know that this is coming from a bad place. So I'm not saying that, but there's a lot of health books out there that make promises. Like you can heal your hormones completely in seven days or like you're, you can do all the, and it's like, okay, hold on. And women will write me and they're like, this book's promising that in two weeks, like I will get my period back. And it's like, well, you, you, and they're like, is it true? I'm like, well, something is telling you, like you feel that little gut check you just did. Listen to that intuition. How could you get your period back in two weeks? You're, you have a cycle, you're a cyclical creature. Like you have like, it's 28 days, 29 days, 30 days. Like there's this average here of when we get periods. Like you're gonna have to think, you're gonna have to at least do a full menstrual cycle of therapies before you really see big shifts and changes. And depending on where you start, that might be six weeks because you started mid-cycle and now you gotta go through a whole new cycle. And that's not to discourage anybody. And I know people will be like, oh, that sucks. I don't I don't wanna get in on that. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like that, I am never gonna make false promises on the things. What I want you to understand is that when you use hormonal birth control or use a pharmaceutical, this is what we're all conditioned to. This is a medication that strong arms your body into submission. It comes in and says, you will do what I say and you will do it now. And that there's a time and a place for that. But when you're working with your body naturally, really what's going on there is that you're saying to your body, Hey, I'm going to partner with you. We're going to work together on this and we're going to try to optimize our hormones together. That's going to take some time because you're partnering and you're working with your body. So this is something, again, hold that space and that grace for yourself and understand you're not doing anything wrong. If like you didn't like you didn't get your period back in two weeks clinically, I don't see that's that's an outlier. That's Mm. not the norm. That's not the average. And so that's um, you know, just another thing that goes on in women's health that I think is really damaging for our mindset. And mindset is some of the secret sauce to healing there. So just to understand, it can take some time. Be patient. Love your body. Work with it. Honor its signals. Ah, that is such a beautiful way to finish. Um, but I'm going to squeeze one more piece of information out of you. I have to. <laughs> Go. So like we've talked about a lot of things and sometimes it can be really useful to rein it in to a bit of a top three on if mm-hmm. women have been on or are on and con- and considering coming off the pill, what do you believe is the most imp- important place for a woman to start? Yeah. So if you want to feel better quick, you got to start loving up your liver and replenishing your nutrient store. So we didn't even talk about all the nutrient depletions from hormonal Mm. birth control. So, you know, if you're like, I can do three things, this is what I would say. Um, start eating broccoli sprouts. Okay. That's going to help with supercharging liver detoxification. It is super awesome for the microbiome. They're always winning in the research. You can eat like, if you can get a quarter cup in most days, that's like that's great. You are winning right so there. So in that case, what if they make you super farty? Because like there's some people who have issues with the cell. Is it sulfurination? Um, I might be saying yeah, that wrong. You know, with um, broccoli sprouts, we just bring it down to like a couple tablespoons then. Okay. Um, I treat a lot of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm. And these are the people who cannot handle eating broccoli, cauliflower, um, <clears throat> any cruciferous vegetables. Um, I haven't had a patient that can't tolerate at least some broccoli sprouts. Yeah. So and you, you just start broccoli- super small is key. Yeah. If that- and if you can't eat broccoli sprouts, get yourself some dim, mm. um, like my balance formulation. That's a supplement that has dim in it. It has other nutrients to help with estrogen metabolism. And so you can take dim instead. If you're like, I cannot tolerate that. Now, the second thing that I would say is that you need to get on a multivitamin or prenatal. You need to start replenishing nutrient stores. You cannot out-diet what hormonal birth control did. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> We've been talking for a while here. so We have. <laughs> here's the thing. 
Um, with hormonal birth control, it is causing significant nutrient depletions. If you've never really done the work as you came off of it to replenish those nutrient stores, then I would venture to guess you are you are having depletions. So multivitamin or prenatal is a really easy way to do it. If you're a menstruating female, odds are you're going to benefit from a prenatal. So it's going to give you a little more um, iron and nutrients that you need in that. Now, number three would be honoring your circadian rhythm. Non-negotiable. You get into bed and you sleep. Um, if you want to lose weight, you want to ovulate, you're going to learn all about this in Beyond the Pill. Since the 1970s, we have known that light pollution has been disrupting women's menstrual cycles. That's the 1970s, you guys. Now we got mm. LED lights on every street corner. Um, most of the United States and Europe can't even see the Milky Way anymore. Like, how lame is that? Like, that one breaks my heart. I grew up in the mountains looking at the Milky Way, like, most summer nights. I'm like, how is this a thing happening in our world? But then... Now there's all these little computers that live in our hands and our purses and we have laptops and we read now we read I don't read books on tablets. I, I can't do it. I I feel like it's um it's blasphemy. I'm I like agree. I agree. I agree. I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like I usually do audible and hold the physical book because I'm a super big nerd like that. Um But do you know I, that there is research to show that that is the way to make the information penetrate the best by mm-hmm. by reading the book while you're hearing it like read out to you? Yeah, yeah. And How's that, that for a tangent. <laughs> when you start writing, not typing, you guys, writing, physically writing. Like I'm te- I'm te- going to teach my kid cursive because I'm like, no. I believe that is good for your brain. That's a belief. I don't have any studies on that. But um when you write, so I um I in medical school didn't have a laptop. I didn't use that for notes until like my primary note taking until my 4th year. My first three years, I hand wrote all my notes. Then I would go back and I would reread it and I would handwrite it again. And I would like color code and draw all kinds of things. And like there, that helps you absorb that information. Okay. That was a totally a tangent, but circadian rhythm, you were talking about how you rock your amber glasses. You have them on right now. Mm-hmm. I love amber glasses, but I talk all about me on the pill, like avoid uh, light exposure at night. Make sure that you're sleeping. It, you know, if you're so the thing is, is that when we're exposed to that light, it degrades our melatonin. That's really important in your fertility. It's an antioxidant that protects your brain and your ovaries. Like we don't even know all the things melatonin does yet. But in addition to that, we know that night shift workers who don't get that same level of melatonin are at higher risk for things like breast cancer. Like that is something to like wake us all up that like we need to bump our melatonin every night. So make sure that you're getting, you're getting restful sleep. Um, and I know this isn't sexy stuff, you guys. I know you're going to be like, I roll, heard this before, but I'm going to tell you right now, it is this non-sexy stuff that all of our moms told us to do that keeps you out of the doctor's office. And truly, healing happens outside the doctor's office. It's how you talk to yourself, what you put on the end of your fork, how you move your body or don't move your body. Are you honoring your sleep? Are you respecting your body's needs? This is the way that you maintain your health. It is not rocket science. It is not super sick, sexy. It is not the next like, hey, take this thing. I could just see like an infomercial going right now. (laughs) And it's never going to be that. It's really never going to be that. It is always going to be you are are an animal. Honor Mm. being an animal. Respect it. What a way to finish. Jolene, thank you so much for joining me on the show. That was a... A roller coaster, just as like, just as our hormones are. <laughs> yeah, I know we were kind of like all over the place, but like this is so really good. fun because we 
You guys, if you're listening to this right now, you just got access to information that like you haven't heard me share. Um, people tend to binge listen to me on podcasts. I just had some, there was about like six people messaging me um, just yesterday morning being like, so when's your next podcast? Because I already listened to 10 and I'm like, oh my God, you guys, you're so good. I love but like, this is definitely one that like, you, there's a lot I talked about that you will not have heard in any other podcast. So Good on you, Alex. Like, way, way to mix it up. Keep oh, me on my toes. Absolutely. That's what it, I'm we're... literally uh, standing up as we're talking and like pacing um, <laughs> around. So I am on my toes, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, you have a beautiful final few hours in Paris. Uh, and uh, and we'll, we'll just have to do a part two. But please, everybody, get to the show notes. Get yourself a copy of Beyond the Pill if you've ever been on or are currently on, or you have a sister or a mother or a cousin or a best friend, uh, I think every woman needs to read this book. Totally. And if you just want to understand how to fix your hormones and what they mean, all of that is in there as well. I mean, it's meant to be a woman's guide user manual where it's like, I know you can go to the doctor and they will give you birth control. I want to give you solutions beyond birth control to balance your hormones. I want to show you there's life beyond birth control when you come Love off it. of it. And I want you to be held. If you're going to be on it and you want to do it, then I want you to have all the information you need to love and care for your body. Beautiful. Thank you so much once again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action and there's amazing a to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.